Hello, everyone. We are back this week with a historical episode because we, me and Mr. Sam Laboon, are in the same room. Pop bottles to that. Cheers, brother. Pop collars to this. Pop, pop <laughs> collars to this. Sam, welcome back home. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm uh, in the Kelowna sun. I was saying earlier, like, it's it's a different kind of heat here. You can't just go out and sit in the park all day because you will die if you try to do that. Yeah, and I'm <laughs> surprised we haven't had more deaths. Uh, but global warming is a myth, so this will just this will pass. This will pass, and all that we will hear will be the sound of freedom. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like freedom to me out there, buddy. <laughs> That's amazing, though. That movie, The Sound of Freedom, uh, the QAnon movie starring Jim Caviezel, has apparently outgrossed both The Flash and Mission Impossible. No kidding. At the box office, yeah. I think I think with that one, you're probably getting uh, the people that really are like rah rah America, and you're getting the people like I got to see what this is. You're like this has got to be funny, you know? Like they go yeah. make fun of it. So there's that aspect, perhaps, but I don't know. I've also seen clips of like people who have gone to go and see the movie because they're like, yeah, this is going to be great. But then they go and they're like, oh my god, we can't buy any any tickets. It's totally sold out. But they go inside and the theater's empty. Ooh, that's like, remember when they were like, the hospitals are empty during COVID? Yeah. It's like, I don't care what going on in the world, the hospitals are never empty, all right? The Pandemic or not, the hospitals aren't empty, all right? So that's just that's just a dumb way to get it to spread a, a fear. Uh, let's talk about, we went down the iconic Enderby float last weekend, mm-hmm. one of my favorite things to do in the summer. It is the quintessential summer experience. I mean, what, what gets what's more summer than that? Floating down a river with wildlife, camping next to a river. The best part about it is just the float. At any point, you just hop off, go for a nice swim. There's a beach. It took five hours though. That was one of the longer ones. I think that was the longest one I've done since that last long one we did when we were had the aid of LSD on our side. <laughs> Yeah, well, the water uh, pretty low, pretty low, but that's normal yeah. for this time of the season. I liked it. That to me is a good length. It's like right when you get to the end, you're like, "All right, I'm kind of over this." Yeah, it's perfect. Whereas most times I go, I'm like, "All right, I could go for another hour or two here." Mm-hmm. It's like a blissful, uh, blissful summer experience. Yeah, that you read about. You just you got five hours of no responsibility other than not drown, essentially. Yeah, don't drown. Don't get separated from your tube. Yeah. Those are the key. First of all, don't get separated from the tube. Because then the, the possibility of drowning is there. But It is there. It's so narrow. The canal so narrow. You can easily swim to the other I side. will say, I when I swam across to get our friend, our friend abandoned the float halfway through to meet up with his fiance, and I swam across the river at that point, which was easy to get to the other side. But trying to swim back was like swimming uphill. It was weird. It was the only time where I felt like, oh, shit, I can see why people drown here. Because there are weird currents out in the deeper parts. Yeah, swimming is exhausting. Yeah. And you cannot swim against a current. You just can't do it. You have to swim across it. Yeah. Well, I think I was, if I had just gone with the current a little bit, it might have been not so hard. Anyways, hell of a, hell of a trip. What was your favorite part? Obviously, the float, right? The the floating part was my favorite. Yeah. Um, mostly, be, yeah, I think the floating part is my favorite because you can't really do it anywhere else. Like, 
yeah. it's just a totally unique experience. Yeah, and it's through the it's through relatively like wild land, right? So you don't it's not like some other floats where you're next to the highway. Not going to name yeah. any names, Penticton, <clears throat> but uh, anyways, good good to have you in person. First time ever. Usually I spend the podcast staring out at this neglected lawn, as you can see. <laughs> Very strange, desolate land out there. That's good. You're not wasting tons of water on, on the grass. No, no, I haven't watered it at all, as yeah. you can probably tell. That's very conscientious and forward thinking. Yeah, it's not laziness. It's no. being conscious. Unselfish. Yeah. It's not it's not being selfish. That's yeah. what that's what it is. Unlike the people on the other side of the fence who have a full on in ground pool. They in view of a giant lake. I mean, I how much that. more wasteful can you get? You know what's even worse is they almost <laughs> never use that pool. I've yeah. I've never seen them in there. I've seen them I've seen them use it maybe once all summer. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty it's pretty insane. Like I don't know. It does seem totally normal to have a pool because it's so hot here. Yeah. It is hot, like like my in-laws have a pool like that, but they're all the way up at, in Black Mountain. It's like a it's like a good forty-five minutes to drive to the beach. So, yeah. anyways, do we have a less? Do you have a lesson plan for today? We're going to see Oppenheimer tonight. Oppie, Oppie boy. <laughs> hey, Oppie, hey, how the, you doing? <laughs> hey, Oppie, forget about it. <laughs> Did you see the uh, the Japanese revenge memes against uh, uh, Barbenheimer? No. So there's like the Barbenheimer poster where uh, Oppenheimer is like standing and then Barbie's like sitting on his shoulder. Like, uh, what's her name? Uh, who's the actor who plays Barbie? Uh, Margot Robbie. Mar Margot Robbie is sitting on Killian Murphy's shoulder and it's like Barbenheimer. Yeah. And so the Japanese edit took out, replaced Oppenheimer with Osama bin Laden, but <laughs> kept Barbie on his shoulder. <laughs> That was Japan's revenge on yeah. the Oppenheimer movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I I heard of this guy that I saw like a little like there's like a series and they kind of do like a reenactment of a guy who survived the first nuclear blast, mm. barely had all of his skin blown off, mm -hmm. was completely wrapped up in bandages like it was a zombie mm. or a, a mummy rather, <laughs> and gets shipped down to. It was Nagasaki was the second one, right? I can't remember. I think whatever the one was the second, he <laughs> goes there, is in the hospital, and is explaining to the people what happened, and none of them believe him when he's talking about it. Like, mm. the, the flash and the skin melting off, and, like, no one understood what he was talking about, and no one believed yeah. him. And then as he's explaining it, his hospital room explodes, and he survives that, too. So he, he <laughs> survived both nuclear bombs that, wow. in history that have gone wow. off to kill people. I don't think I'd want to survive that, but survive two bombs. Yeah. Well, that's that's pretty wild. Pretty pretty lucky um, for him. Uh, would you say that's lucky or unlucky? He might not even know the answer himself. <laughs> I think he, if you asked him, he would say it was pretty unlucky. Survivor's guilt. Oh my god! Lucky compared to everyone who died, <laughs> and unlucky to the rest of the world. Yeah. Maybe he, maybe he, like, realized, like, look, really, there's no other way to end the war. <laughs> <laughs> I would have done the same. 
If I was Oppie, I would have done the same. If I was Oppie, <laughs> Poppy Oppie, they call him. Poppy. He's popping up. And- Pop, Poppy Oppie, because he's always popping off entire cities. <laughs> Poppy <laughs> Oppie. Hey, Poppy. Uh, I, I was supposed today's lesson ties into nuclear war in any in any way. Um, not quite. Uh, I mean, it could be in the sense that no one wants it to happen, and uh, no one would be very happy if that happened, probably. Which reveals that the topic. I think you got to speak up, Sam. Oh. You got to see the wavelength. <clears throat> see how my voice wavelength is loud and obnoxious, and yours is small and timid. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. we don't want that. No. Um, Oppie would not want that. Oppie would not want that. <laughs> All right, so yeah, people would not be happy if there was a nuclear war, which is the segue to the topic of happiness. Ah, step one: mm-hmm. don't get involved in a nuclear blast. Mm-hmm. Very hard to if happy. you can try, to, if you can accomplish that, you're halfway there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what <clears throat> the topic is: happiness, the philosophy of happiness. And let's just start at the beginning. If you look in the old Oxford English Dictionary, yeah, you will find that the root word of happiness is the word "hap," H-A-P, which means chance or good luck. Really. You know what? Wait, before we get too into this, just one one more uh, thing. We were supposed to look up the definition of demented. Oh, yeah. We were yeah. talking about what it means to be demented. Okay, just real quick. Sorry. Sorry to derail you. It is a bit of the oh, other no, side. No, no, no. Demented. Behaving wildly or irrationally on account of anger, distress, or excitement. Hmm. Or, second definition, affected with dementia. All right. <laughs> We were just, we were wondering if you could call someone who had dementia demented, and uh, I'm surprised that you actually can't. <laughs> Grammatically, it's correct. All right. Well, that factoid made me happy. Segway <laughs> back into the lesson. See how we're doing that? Beautiful. Beautifully done. <laughs> um, yes, it would be a bad hap if you were to get dementia. Bad uh, luck. Right. Um, so there's lots of other words that have this uh, root. Happenstance. Haphazard. Hapless. Those are all because of that word hap? They all come from hap. Oh. Um, The first use of happiness was by the immortal bard himself. Aristotle. Plato. Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Fuck. (laughs) Uh, Wait, he invented the word happiness? Well, he took hap. I mean, that's the first place where it's written down. You find it written down is in Shakespeare. The two gentlemen of Verona, quote, Wish me partaker in thy happiness when thou dost meet good hap. (laughs) (laughs) Did you meet some good hap this weekend? That's hilarious. Right. So, um, but as far, you can go even back to the ancient Greeks, pre-Socrates, pre-Aristotle. Happiness and chance were related concepts. Okay. In the histories, Herodotus tells a, a dialogue between a uh, famously wise Athenian named Solon and the most powerful Greek king of the days uh, named Croesus. And Croesus asks him, who's the happiest man in the world? And Solon names three other people but other than Croesus. Right. And Croesus is very upset. <laughs> You're telling me there's people happier than me out there? Exactly, right? This would be like telling Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg that they're, they are not the happiest people. 
would they do they think I wonder if they think they are the happiest people? I don't think they think they're the happiest. They probably think that I think Elon Musk thinks that he is like I think he 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 lords himself a genius. Like he he really does think that he is a genius. Mm. He might even think like happiness is for losers. I don't think he has ever experienced <laughs> happiness. I think that part of his brain is missing. I think he experiences rush rushes of power, mm. which makes him feel good. Maybe happiness is like. Does happiness always go hand in hand with pleasure? Oh, we're gonna get to that. Oh, sure. Okay, see, um, look at me looking into the <laughs> future, ahead. reading ahead, reading ahead again. <laughs> um. So, so Kreese is very upset. He's like, I'm the most powerful man in the ancient, in ancient Greece. What's going on? And Solon replies, often enough, God gives a man a glimpse of happiness and then utterly ruins him. Take 70 years as the span of a man's life. The total of days is 26,250. And not a single one of them is like the next in what it brings. You can see from that, Croesus, what a chancy thing life is. You are very rich, and you rule a numerous people. But I will not answer your question until I know that you have died happily. Until you are dead, you are not happy, but only dead. Whoever has the greatest number of good things that I have mentioned, his, his list is moderate means, sound body, health, freedom from trouble, fine children, and good looks. <laughs> <laughs> If you have all these oh, things, I guess we're both fucked, dude. <laughs> <laughs> if you have all these things and you die a peaceful death, then, in my opinion, you deserve to be called happy. Happy. And uh, Croesus dismissed him. He thought this is bullshit. Get out! Get out of here! This is crock of shit, dude. <laughs> crock of shit. Um, ironically, Croesus proceeds to misinterpret the oracle when it tells him if he invades Persia, he will destroy a great empire. Mm. He invades, invades Persia. And his own empire, his own empire is destroyed. Ah. And as he's about to be burned alive by the Persians, having lost everything, his empire, his wealth, his children were born disfigured. And is this a true story? Or it's Herodotus. It's, it's probably apocryphal. Herodotus, okay. he's known as the father of lies. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> father of history. And but the father of lies was Lucifer. Yeah. Um, but as he's about to be burned alive by the Persians, he finally grasped the meaning of Solon's words that no man could be called happy until he died. I guess the, I guess the point of that is, I mean, the, the, I think the, the thrust of that <laughs> is that you can be, there will be moments of quote unquote happiness and sadness. Like no one is statically happy hmm. until they have lived a life of contentment, I guess. And then once they're dead, it's kind of like everything is locked in. That was happiness. Yeah, it, it is. It is kind of weird because, like, he's literally saying, "As long as you're alive, you're not. I won't call you happy as long as you're alive. It's only after you're dead, and you had all these objective things on my list. Yeah, then I'll call you happy. It doesn't I mean, matter how you feel at all throughout your life, basically. Okay. Uh, I mean, do you agree with that? You're never, you can't be happy truly till you're dead. Mm. Or is well, this point a that of language happening right there? Okay. Can you be happy if you're dead? Obviously, no. You cannot be happy if you're dead. You can only be one thing if you're dead. 
and that's dead. That's dead. <laughs> and quiet. And quiet. And polite. <laughs> and considerate. See you <laughs> um, but I mean, so, what's more considerate than putting yourself on the ground, right? Yeah. Well, it, well, this is like this is the key thing because this reveals there are two different senses of happiness, and the sense that's used most often in philosophy and in Herodotus and Greek is this is a non-psychological sense of happiness. Instead, happiness in this sense is a value judgment. What benefits a person? Their well-being, their welfare, utility, flourishing, um, pleasure could be one, desire. Uh, what benefits a person? So, so on is saying like, your life as a whole, you've got to judge your life as a whole. Right. And how you feel throughout your life, like your psychological states, those aren't really what I'm talking about when I'm talking about happiness. I'm talking about objectively, did you have a good life right? as a whole? Whereas I think a lot of today, we seem to think we use a different sense of happiness, which is psychological. What state of mind should be called happiness? Right, because, you know, some people that are in good, like, uh, what we'd say, an objectively, like, from the outside, looks like they're in, like, they're crushing it in life, you know, lots yes. of money, good family, yeah. Yeah. whatever. Those people can be miserable, and then the guy is homeless, but, I don't know, lot, we've all met them, the homeless guy who's happier <laughs> than everyone else, Yeah. yeah. right? Yeah. Or, like, in my, in my experience, I think most people realize this as they get older, is that uh success does not beget happiness necessarily right mm -hmm. financial success you can be happy being broke and friendless it's not common it's probably hard <laughs> yeah. that sounds hard broken friendless be bad you might need a <laughs> mental defect to accomplish that I guess the point is, is that having crack. a, uh, having a, you know, financial wealth and power and, you know, access to pleasure mm -hmm. is not necessarily a recipe for happiness. Often yeah. the things that actually bring real happiness are the results of delayed pleasure. Mm hmm. Yeah. And relationships are like your relationships with people in your life. Those are what like those don't require wealth to be successful. You know right. what I mean? Right. That's why I think, okay, let's try the guy who's homeless again, but this time he has a ton of friends. <laughs> <laughs> Very popular. Very popular homeless guy. That guy can be truly happy because his relationships are genuine. Mm, and you know, they're genuine because he most likely can't offer people anything other than himself. Mm -hmm. So would you say like in order to be happy, at least one thing that you need probably is genuine relationships with other people. Yes. In I, most cases, like there might be some cases. outliers. Right. Yeah. There's obviously the monk in the cave who's meditating for 300 fucking years. Yeah. That guy Maybe because claim. he believes he can't have it. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, there are people that cannot have authentic relationships, right? Psychopaths, yeah. you know, maybe severely autistic people might not really have what we would define as genuine relationships with people. Mm -hmm. 
but I think in the I think that it's like commonly it's like all right for happiness you need to be you need the basics for survival first of all or else you can't focus on relationships which is you know food shelter water mm-hmm. and I would say like access to some sort of health care right because good looks good looks are not necessary <laughs> to be happy but they don't hurt I think, I think Solon has a point there. Like happiest person in the world is probably good looking. You think so? <laughs> I, think I think good looks can be a double edged sword, a double edged sword, especially yeah. for women. True, true. When your looks start to outweigh everything else you have to offer, that becomes a negative, mm. right? Yeah. Or if your looks are the first thing people gravitate towards, yeah, and then they can be disappointed if you don't have. You might feel like there's a lack of authenticity, yeah, in how people perceive. Exactly. You're like, do you like me or do you like the way I look? Right. It's like that show Love is Blind. You ever watch that on Netflix? Oh, yeah. Dude. So many good, like, unintentional. The thing about these reality shows is on their surface, they are very shallow. And they are. They're shallow. Mm -hmm. They're trash TV. Then they belong in the garbage. Right. And they they should make (laughs) less of them. And people shouldn't watch as much of them. But we can't get enough. <laughs> if you do, if you're one of these people that doesn't has never watched one of these shows, sit down and watch a reality TV show, especially ones where it's young, attractive, dumb people living together. <laughs> there is so much interesting. Like, remember, okay, Sam, when we were roommates, mm. you remember watching Bad Girls Club, right? Mm-hmm. We watched like ten seasons of that. And I would, I would consider us, you know, people that appreciate actual art, you know. Oppenheimer. Yeah, op, we're oppy poppy. <laughs> you know, it's not like I'm someone who, who can't appreciate something with more depth. But when you watch these shows where you, they do have, like, absolute morons living together, mm. it's almost like the feeling of being an anthropologist and watching, <laughs> like, watching these people, like, react to each other, especially when the people have almost no emotional intelligence like they just can't handle anything like an adult it's just so entertaining they run la but they can't (laughs) they can't that was my favorite thing about that show every single contestant claimed they ran their city they can't run their own life for shit they run la i run la bitch (laughs) oh yeah tell us about how the uh, septic systems work (laughs) that's not my job talk to the trash people yeah (laughs) All right. Yeah. So there's two, these two senses of happiness. Um, and let's, let's get a little, little more into them. So let's look at the first one, the psychological sense of happiness. What counts as the right mental state to be happy? Because you can be happy while you're still alive. If happiness is psychological. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, I'm not gonna lie. I don't fully grasp this. Uh, you can't be happy till you're dead thing, but. Yeah, well, you you will in a in a second. Okay, I think, and it might even be uh, with this, which is kind of similar. Um, so, the first theory for happiness is happiness as a psychological state is the life satisfaction. Happiness is an endorsement or affirmation of one's life as a whole or up to a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. In other words, you are in a mental state of positive affirmation towards your life. So in this case, uh, in Solon's case, this is kind of different from what Solon is saying. So Solon is saying, like, after you die, other people can judge whether or not you deserve to be considered happy. Right. And by happy, they mean um, 
Did you have moderate means, healthy, good kids, good looking? What does he mean by moderate means? Does that at mean not being? Means. Oh, at least. Yeah. So oh, okay. Yeah. You don't have to be as rich as Croesus, but you're not going to be like a slave. Right. Uh, the happy slave. That's a hard one. You Yeah, you literally wrote down one of the objections to this. Oh. You, or you literally said one of the objections to this, the happy slave. Yeah. I should get my master's in philosophy. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> what is the happy slave ob- objection? Okay, the, well, the, the, uh, the lack of, um, uh, what's the word? The lack of ownership of your own choices in life restricts your ability to pursue happiness, right? If your if your circumstances are that bad, mm-hmm. you have to be like a, on a, some other level Buddhist monk type enlightened being to truly be happy. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure even slaves had moments of happiness when they're because of their relationships with each other. Mm-hmm. But I think most of the time, it's hard to focus on your relationship with anyone when you're in constant fear and pain, right? And hunger. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the issue there is, is exactly like you said. It is possible for someone to be a slave. And yet, if you were to ask them, are you happy? They might say, yes, I am happy. I believe my master is a good man. And, uh, you know, like I don't have freedom but like i've got a roof over my head i've got enough yeah. to eat every day i guess I'm happy. it does matter on like i think when it comes to the slave thing it does matter a lot of it would hinge on how well they're treated by the master right well that's all that's all a trap that's all all a trick oh okay because the slave's happiness is not authentic which we'll get to okay um now let's look next at the uh um the next kind of psychological state and that's emotional state so this is different from a judgment that your life is satisfactory as a whole okay so under this view here's a a quote from dan habron who wrote this whole entry um quote happiness on such a view is more nearly the opposite of depression or anxiety a broad psychological condition Whereas hedonistic happiness is simply opposed to unpleasantness. For example, a deeply distressed individual might distract herself enough with constant activity to maintain a mostly pleasant existence, broken only by tearful breakdowns during the odd quiet. Well, I think there's a lot of people like that where it, I mean, that's where you get the party animal that can't be left alone. We all know, have met people like this in our lives. They're the last one that wants to leave the bar. They're the last, they're the one that wants to keep the party going in the morning. Anything's better than being alone with your own thoughts, right? Right. Yeah. So, um, quick recap. So these are the two psychological theories of happiness. The first one, life satisfaction. You make a broad endorsement on on the whole that your life is satisfactory. You can incorporate various metrics for that. Um, You feel good. You have shelter, blah, blah, blah. The problem is that people um, can have a tendency to become grateful for like the small mercies of life where they reset their expectations for what, you know, a good life should be in order to conform to their reality. Right. So the slave shrinks their expectations about what their life should be like in order for them to 
pretend to feel happy so that they don't aren't miserable. Um, but really, it's it's not authentic. And and the second one, right? Happiness is an emotional state that is the opposite of depression or anxiety. So you're not making a conscious affirmation, but you you're in a healthy emotional place. You are not someone who outwardly seems happy, but inwardly every now and then you just have these breakdowns. Right. No, 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 no. You're not having breakdowns and stuff like that. Right. You're, you're actually like in a good emotional state. You're the opposite of depressed. I think that's a good barometer of like to tell someone's really happy is put them in isolation for a day mm-hmm. and see where their mind takes them. <laughs> yeah. Um, now there is an objection to this as well. And this is a famous objection. And this objection is really the reason why philosophy has tended to disregard psychology as, or sorry, has disregarded happiness as a psychological state and focused more on happiness as uh, this like sort of well-being idea. Mm-hmm. And that's the experience machine. So the experience machine objection is that you can be put into this experience machine where you won't know that you're in a machine and you will have a perfect life created for you that you don't even know isn't. You can be in the happy emotional state for your whole life in this machine. Most people though would say, looking at someone in this machine, they would say they're not actually happy. And most people wouldn't willingly uh, choose. We have talked about that. We did a whole episode on this machine once. Yeah, we did, yeah. And I think it came to the conclusion that well, I don't, I don't remember what we came to the conclusion of, but I think it's unfair to just judge someone that they're unhappy because they're hooked up to this machine. Mm. It's all experience. It's all your experience, what you're experiencing and how you're feeling over a sustained amount of time. That's what matters. Hook me up. That's what I say. But but I guess, so suppose, right? Suppose you're hooked into this machine. And this is like a fringe case of course, which we will get into. A lot of these things are fringe cases. Mm-hmm. But just so I can try and help play the devil's advocate here. Okay. Suppose you're put into the machine. You're hooked up. You're in your happy emotional state living your manufactured life. Meanwhile, your real life is utterly destroyed. All your loved ones imprisoned, kidnapped, blah, blah, blah. Well, the knowledge of that is going to be hard to get over. You can't get that knowledge. You don't get that knowledge. You're in the machine, isolated. Yeah, I mean, this is... Should that be... Should we say, look, he's happy. Don't unplug him. Ignorance is bliss. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. don't unplug him. Uh, What you don't know can't hurt you, right? Is that the phrase? Okay, let's put it in these terms. Who's happier? The person in the experience machine or... A person outside of the experiment experience machine who's genuinely having the experiences and they're not in the machine. Well, it's. It, I guess it would depend on how sure you are the genuine experiences are actually genuine. If if this technology of the experiment the experience machine <laughs> exists, I think everybody would be kind of wondering if they're actually in reality. True. Or that's not. true. That's true. So. But if you had to choose, had to choose. Okay, here's the thing. Is that the guy in the experience machine knows they're in the experience machine? They Uh, don't know. They don't know. The whole point of that machine is when you're in it, you don't know that you're in it anymore. 
I think the you guy have to choose to go into it knowing that once you're in, you won't know that you got in. It's not like playing a video. Okay, that guy's going to be happier if he has less bad things happening to him in that machine, mm -hmm. right? He has less to deal with. Yeah. If things are just always coming up roses for him, and he does, he's just like, I guess I'm just a lucky guy. He's got a beautiful wife. His kids know, he are thinks, healthy. He thinks it's all the result of his actions. He deserves it. It's, there you go. It's great. It's well, great. of course he's happier than the other guy who has to deal with reality. All right. So. You I'm think gonna... Neo was happier when he went out of the Matrix? Sure, he was at a yes, dead-end job. I do. You do? Yes. Well, probably because he could fight really cool. <laughs> <laughs> now he knows the, the real Kung Fu. Yeah, that's true. But he has to eat gruel. He does have to eat gruel. Watery oatmeal. Not even steel cut. Yeah. No. I don't even know how they get oats. Oats need a lot of space. Well, I don't know if that was actually oatmeal. It just looked like some sort of gelatinous, <laughs> gross mess. Probably a fungal, fungal concoction. It's just like a bunch of nutrients just to get them through another cycle. Yeah. Well, this shows clearly that, you know, people have different ideas about happiness. If you think happiness is totally just a psychological state, then the experience machine isn't really a, a confounding uh, thing. But it, but I'll just propose what I think is interesting, um, hybrid theory, which tries to defeat both the happy slave and the experience machine. Okay. So this is from L.W. Sumner, uh, and he proposes, or she, I don't know, actually another gender, um, proposes we identify well-being with, quote, authentic happiness. Authentic meaning it respects both our rationality and our autonomy. So authentic happiness is informed to respect our rationality and uh, autonomous. It's our own choice. So the happy slave's happiness is not authentic because it is not autonomous. There's a massive power imbalance. There's the, always the threat of punishment or suffering um, that's implied, you know, it's kind of like a, what do you call it, implication of mm -hmm. being a slave. Um, they don't have critical thought or education. They don't know about the wider world. They don't have anything to compare their situation to. Totally limited, totally not an autonomous choice. And also not informed because they just don't know anything. And then uh, it also has to be authentic. So the experience machine is, according to L.W. Sumner, not authentic because the person inside doesn't know that their experiences are not real. Yes, but if they don't know, how are they, like, if they don't know, then it doesn't matter to them. You can always judge from the outside saying that's not it's, real happiness, yeah, but to the once person. In, it doesn't matter. The, yeah. It's would you get into it knowing what's going to happen? Oh, that's the question. That's the real question. If you say no, then you think you would be happier outside of it. See, here's the thing. This is where, like, the conundrum for me would be if I have to put it, I have to put it in relation to my own life. If I was <laughs> like, okay, I can go into this experience machine and I will have a great experience. And I'll even have my wife in there with me, but it won't actually be your wife. Your wife will remain out here, but it'll be a perfect simulation of her. You won't know. I, I, you won't know. It'll be exactly. You, you will believe. You will fully believe it's real. Yes. See, and then, but if I had that knowledge, I would just. I would then I would like when I start thinking like that, I have to refuse going in because mm -hmm. even though I won't know 
that she might be suffering in real life and this simulation is not real. The fact that I know that before going in means I would say, no, I'm not going in. But if I was put in, (laughs) unbeknownst to myself, say in the middle of the night, Oppenheimer sneaks in, hooks me up, (laughs) Poppy Oppie comes in. With one of his wild experiments. It's, we got to win the war. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's for. <laughs> and I wake up and I don't know that it's not my wife. I might end up being, it might be a happier life because I'll have less conflicts and the stuff that makes life. Here's the thing is, do you need to overcome obstacles and challenges in life to be truly happy? Hmm. Is that part of the human uh, like the human equation it'll, is that you need to have the sense of accomplishment or it will well, simulate you can, that. You can, that's the thing with the experience machine. It is totally one-to-one to scale indistinguishable from reality. You will feel struggle. You'll feel pain. You'll have setbacks. Everything in your real life is just not real. But all the outcomes are designed to like give you the perfect life of your dreams. If the perfect life of your dreams involves you suffering for 30 years, like Conan the Barbarian, and then breaking free and conquering the world, that's the life you'll live. You'll suffer as a slave for 30 years, and then you'll conquer. I'm going to wait for the expansion pack. (laughs) Give me the deals. I don't want that shit. You know what I want is I would want to be, I would want to live my, uh, I would want to have like a Zelda, like a game, like Link's life where it's all adventure mm. and glory and mysteri- mystery yeah. mystery mystery solving puzzles conquering monsters saving the girl couple blowjobs <laughs> couple bjs in there couple bjs <laughs> in the fields of high rule <laughs> you oh, sprinkle yeah. on a couple blowjobs you're you're always going to that's always going to be a good thing can't go wrong. No. <laughs> that should be on Solon's list. Good yeah. looks, great kids. A couple blowjobs here. Blow couple <laughs> unexpected blowjobs never hurt anyone. Uh, yep. <laughs> okay, so um, experience machine, we've, we've talked about this. It might not, it would be authentic, blah, blah, blah. It's not authentic. The happy slave is not autonomous, etc. You want an authentic happiness, or at least I want an authentic happiness. Um, now let's talk about the last, maybe the last topic. Okay. Uh, and these are the questions about now that we sort of have like a loose theory of happiness. Yeah. It's a psychological state um, that's informed and autonomous. So it's not someone shooting heroin all day. It's right. Not autonomous. They're right. addicted and stuff like that. Um, now we have to talk about like what are the proper ways to achieve this? How do you get this? And we'll start at the individual level, and then we'll talk about government policy. Okay. So at the individual level, it turns out, surprise, surprise, people are systematically prone to make mistakes in trying to be happy. Wow. (laughs) That's uh, surprising to me. (laughs) And there are three areas that have been studied a lot, and people are pursuing happiness, to quote the great... uh, Will Smith or Thomas Jefferson? I can't, I can't remember. Will Smith um, <laughs> often confused. Um, and the first one is assessing how happy we are or were in the past. So we're actually not, we'd make mistakes in that. Yes. 
Well, when you said that, I thought, okay, if I think back on my life, the things that I thought were the key to happiness as a child lose their effect, say effectiveness at keeping me happy as I got older, right? Mm -hmm. Then as you get into it as a teenager, your definition of what's going to make you happy changes even more. And then you get into your early 20s and it's like, oh, as long as I have my independence, enough money to spend at the bar and, you know, I can, you know, try and get dates with women. That's all I need to be happy. And then right. you get a little older and then it's usually when you like experience all the things that you think are going to make you happy and you have them for a while. And then yeah. that happiness wanes and then you have to look deeper. Okay, what? what actually constitute happiness. Mm. And I think that happens. Those are your, your crisis moments. Right. Like, oh, shit. Right. Shit. I thought that's, <laughs> I thought I had all the ingredients here and I miss me missing something. Right. Yeah. And that, I think that keeps going throughout your life. It's just like different things make you, you find a different definition of happiness as you move throughout your life. And I think as you get older, the happiness becomes more rich and pure. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Starting to sound a little bit like Solon. I am. <laughs> I am Lil, Lil Solon is my rap name. <laughs> little Lil Solon. Lil, Lil Solon. Lil Athenian. <laughs> Lil Athenian. <laughs> All right. Uh, the second one is uh, similar. It's predicting what will make us happy in the future. Now, this seems like a, like sort of what you're saying. Like, yeah. We think like, oh, like when you're a kid, what's going to make me happy? Oh, video games and junk food. Yes. So then you're older, you buy video games and junk food. It would have been nice if that sustained happiness for the rest <laughs> of my life. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. those are very accessible <laughs> and sustainable. <laughs> and then uh, the third one is choosing rationally between available options in the present about what will make you happy. Yes. So... That, that's an interesting one because um, in like the sciences of happiness and studying it, one interesting thing is sometimes having too many choices hurts people's happiness. They are less happy if they feel like they have too many decisions to make. Yeah. People don't want a ton of decisions. Have you ever been stoned in the 7-Eleven trying to find <laughs> snacks? <laughs> it's, it's almost easier just to kill yourself. <laughs> Yeah, it's very, it's very, yeah. So we're, we're bad at, uh, at those things. And that's like, that's an interesting thing because for so long, uh, economics, I think, assumed that people are rational agents in the choices that they make. Right. Um, and this is actually perfect because this, this leads us right into our last topic, uh, which is the politics of happiness. So just, yeah, just like I was saying, um, for so long, right, since uh, John Stuart Mill, Western liberal thought has had an optimistic view that educated people with liberty will make prudent, rational choices to increase their well-being. Right. And so for a long time, the goal of government, the goal of legitimate government is to increase people's liberty to lead lives of their own choosing. The only the interesting thing is like, the people who proposed this idea, people like John Stuart Mill, they were way less liberal than we would assume today. Right. John Stuart Mill, for example, thought in order to vote, you would first have to own like, land on the spot. Oh, like own land. Okay. Yeah. But then, um, actually, I don't know. I think he might have been willing to give up the own land thing. Wow. But he did want at least he was radical because he thought you can give up the land thing, but they have to write 
a, liter- a language test, a history test, a math test. So they have to write all these tests first. Right. Prove you're at, like, you know, sort of what's going on. I mean, and, that sounds and, like a good idea on the surface. Like, you got to be politically <laughs> literate to vote. So you don't just vote for whatever guy tells you to vote for them, right? Yeah. I, it, it's interesting. Like, you can see the benefits. Yeah. Because if you do that, then you can, inc- you can give, you know, the voters more freedom because see, they seem to be rational and like prudent choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for, uh, but then, you know, it turns out like we were just talking about, it turns out people make mistakes a lot in pursuing happiness. And, and it's been kind of uh, ignored because for the most part, we don't think about the psychological state of happiness as like an important aspect of government policy. Right. Like no one runs on a happiness platform. No, they should. <laughs> they should. Uh, so let's uh, consider some policies. Could a government make policies on happiness grounds? And if so, what might some of these be? Um, uh, like mandatory vacations. Mandatory. <laughs> mandatory. You have to take them. That's good. On happiness grounds. Yes. It's good for your mental health to take a vacation. You have to. Yeah. And every once in a while, someone gets on TV. It's a, it's a, it's a national broadcast. Yeah. And they tell everybody, stop what they're doing. <laughs> take a couple breaths. And acknowledge that whatever is happening in their work life is not that important. And to just take a little mm-hmm. bit of stress out of their... If the leader of your country is stopping you every day and be like, hey, everybody take a moment to relax. It's not that important. I think that would help. <laughs> this is Joe Biden. This is Joe Biden. And what you're doing today don't mean shit. <laughs> be like me and uh, take a nap. Take a nap. I'm taking four today. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy. I don't know what day it is. <laughs> North Korea, don't even think about it anymore. <laughs> Kim Jong-ho? Kim Jong-ho? <laughs> Uh, right. So, um, yeah, other things could be like, um, Kim Jong-ho is the next in line. Kim Jong-ho is the Another one could be, this one's big right now. Very big. Yeah. Working from home. Very big one right now. Businesses very opposed to this, especially businesses with expensive office buildings. Mm -hmm. So here on the one hand, you have the interests of business which will be not to have work from home. And that's on business financial grounds. And then on the other hand, you have the workers. And it seems pretty clear that having like at least three days work from home is great psychologically. Yeah. People benefit a lot from not having to commute and all those sorts of things. And burnout is less of an issue. And burnout. So, uh, So work from home would be a policy on happiness grounds. Now, it seems like so much and the reason and business grounds usually wins business usually wins in these situations because and it's odd but it makes sense all the way back to the beginning where the two senses of happiness diverged on the one you have the psychological state on the other you have well-being right statistically one way countries try to show that their citizens have great well-being is with gdp gdp is a business thing policies that favor businesses are probably good for GDP. Maybe I'm not an economist, but I think 
boosting business helps GDP eventually. Yeah. So maybe governments are looking at the wrong metric for how well-off well-being their citizens are. Maybe it's time to pull back from the GDP focus and put the focus more on happiness. Yeah. I think, I think for a lot of people, money equals happiness, at least in their head, which I think is completely insane. But I, I think it's fair if you go to the extent of at least moderate means. Oh, yeah. Well, you need enough money to take care of yourself and your family yeah. and make sure that you are living comfortably. Like, yeah. comfortably, I, I, think, I think a lot of people get lost in life with, with equating material objects or the ability to travel or go on vacation on a whim as the key to happiness. Yeah. Yeah. Even Solon said wealth beyond moderate means doesn't make much of it. Yeah. And, and modern science of happiness bears that out. And well. let's be honest, most of the time in life, when you get a, the fancy new gadget or the nice new car, that the, the, the happiness that brings is, is very temporary as far as like, you just get used to it and you take it for granted after a little bit. Right. And yeah. then you're like, okay, why am I not happy anymore? I was happy when I first bought my Ferrari and I still have <laughs> it, but suddenly I'm not happy anymore. Yeah. Because these things are very, very short-term happiness. I think everybody needs yeah. to find some, and I guess I think like family is where people can find their kind of more deeper, long-term mm-hmm. happiness for a lot of people. That's why a lot of people's priorities change drastically when they have their first kid. Yeah. So, like when when we're saying happiness is a psychological state, it's not meaning that it's a fleeting, brief, intense psychological state. Rather. It's more like, to think of it, it's more like the opposite of depression and anxiety. Ah. It's a broad, ongoing uh, mental state. Okay. Um, so, but you're totally right. Like, people people don't focus on that. They focus on the more immediate gratification. And I think a lot of people have a trouble. They, have, a tr- they have trouble uh, letting go of that notion because if yeah. it's not that, then what is it? Right. And yeah. then they, they're feeling lost. They're like, I'll just buy a nicer thing, right? Mm-hmm. A bigger house, nicer car. I'll spend more time in Mexico. I'll spend more time in Italy. I'll spend, but those things all, they lose their shine very quickly. Anyways, that's all the time we have today, folks, our historical, uh, podcast episode. Let's do a little ballpark sound effect. I just take a Anything else you want to say? I guess when I come to Toronto in November, we can do another in-person podcast. Oh, my God. Keep that shit rolling. Do it on Urban. All right. We're going to get Indian food, then go see Poppenheimer. Yeah, I might drop my own nuclear bomb in the theater uh, (laughs) bathroom. (laughs) All right, bye. Basically.